The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat, and then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When I first read the lessons and the collect for today, something came immediately to me, probably as the result of some reading I've been doing uh, recently, which I'll get back to a little later in my sermon. But it struck me that our collect and all of our lessons today make some reference to an aspect of our faith that I think we tend perhaps not to emphasize enough. And that is our life after salvation. As people who come from a tradition that embraced the Reformation and understand that um, our salvation is based upon what God has done for us in Christ. That work of Christ on our behalf, through his cross and in his resurrection, is the most important aspect of what we preach, and rightfully so, because it is based on the understanding that we are utterly dependent upon the God who has created us, that God has also come to redeem us. 
it is critically important that we remember that because as human beings our natural tendency is to forget it to think that we can make it on our own and that's part of what Jeremiah is alluding to when he talks about the fact that there are two sins of the people for my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me the fountain of living water and dug out cisterns for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water when we remember God when we remember our utter dependence upon God when we understand that it is only by what God has done for us that we can have any hope at all for the gift of life beyond this world when we forget that we cut ourselves off from the living waters that flow from God himself and then we desperately try to fill that need for refreshment and for life by digging cisterns dead holes in the ground that won't even hold that water and leave us spiritually dry and so it is critically important to remember that central theme of what we preach and that is that our relationship with God is based on what God has done for us in Christ in his death and in his resurrection centrally and not on anything that we can do for ourselves that being said however we sometimes forget that there is much more to salvation than simply being freed from sin and death the whole point of our salvation is so that we can be in a restored relationship with the God of all life and to move on in that relationship in a life that continues without end in a life that continues blessing upon blessing in a personal life that develops to be more and more God-like as we move through this world and through the next it is this aspect of salvation that I think is being emphasized today our collect for instance uh, says nothing of the cross and resurrection directly and yet it talks about the, our life in Christ in relationship with God Lord of all power and might the author and giver of all good things graft in our hearts the love of your name increase in us true religion nourish us with all goodness those living waters that Jeremiah talks about and bring forth in us the fruit of good works this is all life beyond that moment of salvation when we have been moved from death to life this is a prayer for an ongoing life with God a life that continues to grow 
into his image and likeness. In most of Paul's writings, and we don't know whether Hebrews, the, from which uh, a passage was read today, was written by Paul or by somebody else, but Hebrews follows the pattern that we see in Paul in so many of his other epistles, where after he retraces the basics of our faith and speaks of that redemption that is offered to us as a free gift in Christ, he then finishes so many of his epistles with um, a, a further instructions in that ongoing life in Christ. In our passage from Hebrews, we hear, let love, mutual love, continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality. Remember those who are in prison. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And so on and so forth. Now, sometimes when we read this, we can think, well, isn't this just a new law? <laughs> isn't this just a, 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 a Christian law to replace the Mosaic law of the Old Testament? What was wrong with it? But that's not what this is all about. By this point in all of these epistles, the point has been clearly made that our salvation is found in Christ alone and in his work primarily focused in the cross and resurrection. But these then become instructions to people who have dwelt in darkness up to that point and don't even know what the kingdom life should look like. Another way of putting it is that these instructions at the end of so many of these epistles in the New Testament are visions of what our ongoing life in Christ should be. They are something that holds before us the riches of the blessing that continue beyond that point of salvation. I said that I was doing some reading recently that uh, I think made me sensitive to this issue as I was reading through these lessons today. And that book is called Locating Atonement. It's a relatively new book out. And the atonement, of course, is uh, easily understood because it's easily broken into its part, at one mint. We're really talking about reconciliation in Christ, reconciliation with God, and reconciliation with one another. But the thing about the title is it's locating atonement. And the point of it is that in so many treatments of the doctrine of the atonement, God's saving work in Christ in the past have been done in isolation. They've been done about that doctrine by itself as though it doesn't bear any great relation to any other Christian teaching. This book is actually uh, the compilation of lectures that were given at a theological uh, seminar 
uh, in Los Angeles some years ago that whose focus was to try to look at the atonement in relation to the other teachings of our faith, the atonement in relation to creation, for instance, the atonement in relation to the incarnation, God becoming flesh in Christ. Even such more subtle and sophisticated doctrines as the relationship of the atonement with the two wills of Christ, which was a theological thing that was settled over a thousand years ago. Um, how do these things relate? And by looking at it in relationship to one another to have a much richer understanding of the atonement itself and its place in our Christian lives. There's one chapter particularly that is dedicated to the understanding of the early church fathers about atonement. And it talks about the fact that our salvation can be seen, salvation history can be seen as kind of U-shaped. Uh, humankind was created in the image of God, we fell, we started to decline, and when we hit bottom, that's where God met us, in Christ. Christ comes in the flesh to redeem us. And then we begin that climb out of that hole again, okay, sort of a U-shaped thing. He said, but the point is that this side of the U just keeps going. It doesn't go back to where it started. It just keeps right on going, on and up. And in order to illustrate the point, he quotes from a sermon from one of the most famous preachers in all of Christian history, St. John Chrysostom. So I'd like to read just a little piece of this chapter uh, that speaks to that issue. In a sermon on Romans 5, John Chrysostom compared the human plight to a small debt. A man owns a few coins. When he cannot pay the debt, he is cast into prison along with his wife, children, and servants. His only hope is for someone to come and clear the debt. And that is what happens. A benefactor comes along and pays the small debt. The poor man's problems are solved and he is overjoyed. But there is more. The benefactor is not content only to clear the prisoner's debts. In addition, he gives the man 10,000 talents of gold, a vast fortune. And as if that were not enough, he leads him into the royal palace and gives him an introduction to the king. As a result, the man is elevated to the highest status in the land. And never again does the benefactor remind the man of the few coins he had owed. In this parable, one can see where the real emphasis lies in the patristic understanding of the atonement. There is a solution, the payment of a few coins. And there is a surplus, 10,000 talents of gold and a position of honor in the royal palace. Chrysostom uses the language of debt 
so familiar to us now from later atonement models. But his parable is worlds away from the kind of atonement theology that sees Christ's death as nothing more than a necessary payment. Chrysostom concludes, For Christ paid off much more than we owed, as much more as a limitless ocean compared to a small drop of water. I believe that we are being invited today through our collect and through our lessons to think about this piece of our faith that is so important to our ongoing life. We have been redeemed by Christ in order to have an ongoing life with God. And it is that ongoing life in God that is supposed to be um, a little bit of heaven on earth in this life. When the writers of the epistles and even Jesus himself speak to us in the lessons today, they are not just speaking to us as individuals, but they are speaking to us as the church, a body of believers who is the body of Christ. And we are being called, as the author of Hebrews says, to let mutual love continue. Because that mutual and indwelling love, one for the other and all of us in God, is the very joy of our salvation and the joy for which we have been restored by the cross and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I believe we're being called to think about these things in a way that encourages us to be mindful of our common life in Christ and ask that question, are we reflecting that divine life, that kingdom life, that life in Christ that truly reflects our new being in Christ? Because that is the vision that will draw people. That <clears throat> is the vision that will give people hope. That is the vision that will give us hope for our future with God through all of eternity. And it will sustain us in the joy and it will sustain us in the strength of the power of God at work within our lives and indeed within his whole world.